Okay, hi folks and welcome to another special edition Epic Fitness Summit podcast um, on the We Do Science Guru Performance Podcast. Today I have a guest, um, uh, this time from the other side of the pond as we say, James Krieger. Hi James. Hello. Yeah, so um, I just mentioned that this was an Epic Fitness Special Edition because... um, our normal podcasts uh, feature a wide variety of uh, guest experts, but these particular special edition ones are done in association with the Epic Fitness Summit that's occurring uh, this year um, in the UK, and you are one of the speakers. So um, before we get into your topic, which is about insulin, uh, which I know will be fascinating to all of our listeners, it's certainly an area I'm interested in. Um, let's let's just quickly um, tell folks more about you. I know you're a bit like me. You've got a master's in nutrition, another one in exercise physiology, so you and I are of the same education. But tell us a bit more about you and, and sort of up to where you are today. Yeah, well, I uh, kind of started in exercise science um, back in the mid-'90s because uh, – I was actually a computer science guy, but I just had this growing interest in exercise science because I had gotten into weight training. I was kind of fascinated by how how it was changing my body, and I was kind of fascinated behind the science behind it. And mm-hmm. so I ended up taking the career into exercise science and you know getting my degree. And then, then my plan was you know I was very interested in doing research, and so I got my master's in exercise science, and then went on to do my PhD in nutrition, but. Uh, wasn't really working out for me in the program that I was in at University of Florida, so I uh, just finished with another master's degree and then moved back to my you know home area of Seattle, Washington, and mm. and ended up uh, my my original plan was to have to reestablish my residency in the state, uh, so I had to work for a year before I could go back to school, and so I started working at a place called the Pro Club, which is. Uh, Second largest health club in the world, membership-wise, I think. Wow, um, that must be big. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah. I think. Uh, um, as far as for a single site. Mm. Um, um, anyway, it's they, they're strongly affiliated with Microsoft. Uh, Microsoft basically covers the membership benefit. Oh, okay, right, yeah. Yeah, Microsoft is in the area and actually kind of right ac- was kind of right across the street from us. But mm. uh, anyway, I started working there as a personal trainer. But then, uh, and my original plan was to go back to the University of Washington and then finish my PhD in nutrition there and then uh, but then what happened was the CEO kind of took note of me and uh, and my background and and said uh, hey you know we you know we kind of want to do some uh, you know maybe research on our population here because you know it was an obesity man we had an obesity management program and uh, we were treating you know about probably 400 people a year and uh, we're a really successful program, you know, with like an average weight loss of about 40 pounds in three months. So, wow. um, so he wanted me to, you know, maybe do some research on the program and then also maybe help educate the doctors and dietitians with the latest research and everything in, in the field of obesity. So, so I did twice a month literature reviews for the staff and things like that. And it was really a fun job. Uh, um, and so I never went back for my P- finished my PhD because I... I kind of enjoyed what I was doing there so much, so I, um, you know, did that till kind of the market downturn in 2009, and then they had to do layoffs and things. So, sure, in, ended up losing my job there, and then for a while worked um, 
uh, as a um, analyst or statistician, really for a um, for a um, a company that does wellness programs for employer groups. Um, mm. So so I had kind of you know for a period of time my main job was had kind of moved away from uh, the fitness industry. Kind of I mean it was to- wasn't totally away from it, but sure uh, sure um, yeah. And now now I'm kind of back to maybe more fitness for a passion. I'm not, you know, I did have, I do have my weightology website and I, mm. I did have a subscription based service where I would review research on a monthly basis, kind of like Alan does with yeah. his Alan Aragon's research review. And, mm. um, but with two kids now under three, um, it got kind of hard to keep up with the right constant writing all the time. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the de- so it's, it's the sleep deprivation and the dirty nappies and the, Teething yes. and the uh, yeah, I get it. I'm I'm in the middle of the same mess myself. I get it. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. So I had to uh, I had to finally kind of give up give that up. I I still will write occasional blogs on my website, and sure. people can people can subscribe for a one time fee. They can look at all the back issues, but but, uh, but now I'm just kind of doing fitness more for fun again, not for income anymore. I'm basically day trading now for for my income, but. Uh, um, but I've been collaborating a lot with Brad Schoenfeld and Alan on various research studies. Yeah. Uh, we've published a number of papers over the past year or so, a number yeah. of meta-analyses. Yeah, no, they've, um, been, they've been excellent. I've, I've read, um, read them all. I mean, uh, uh, some of them have got, gone into JSSN, of course, and I'm on the, I'm on the board there. So, I, you know, I'm well, yeah. well acquainted. Um, and on this podcast, uh, we've had um, Alan and Brad uh, individually and uh, together, and uh, for Alan's coming back on again because I can't get the guy to keep quiet. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but um, but that, no, it's good, and it, it's always interesting to hear people's backgrounds. Um, you know, we're not we're not just practitioners or academics; we're also real people living in the real world, and it, it's it's sort of interesting because that that does help us with some of our takes on things. And for yeah. those that are academics. Um, maybe you know they look at things one way because they're sort of stuck in the lab 24-7 and can be very 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 fixed and isolated views on things whereas practitioners can be a very different point of view you know and uh, sometimes they meet in the middle and sometimes they don't and that's kind of where I wanted to go with this because I know you're going to be talking about sort of the whole sort of facts and fallacies of, of this insulin thing um, yeah. which is a, a big topic. And I've gotten into this to a certain extent with some other experts when we talked about um, uh, carbohydrates and obesity. And I even had Stephen Guirnay on uh, for the neurobiology behind all this. And, you know, that it's just fascinating. But there are a couple of topics which people are really into uh, and talk about as if they know everything about it. And insulin is one of those things. And um, what I liked about your approach to this is because you've, you know, you've got solid credentials. Uh, you're very good at statistics. I know you're sort of the statistics guy for those guys in the, those papers. Um, you have a very sort of, you know, a non-biased way of looking at the data and the information, and that's quite rare. There's a lot of people really do have a point of view about this stuff and they just go with it and they you know I, I was amused by the comments on your um, blog at Weightology which I've been reading oh. <laughs> recently and you know you've written some stuff about insulin and and 
it's it's worth reading what comments pe- people have made. You know, there's some very very impassionate views by people about stuff because. I mean, literally, people can get into some serious fisticuffs about this stuff. And uh, oh, yeah. I think it's amazing. Now, I have a catchphrase throughout my podcast, which is <laughs> context. Um, and in fact, it's, got, it's become a bit of a uh, sort of a joke because um, I'm actually getting an expert on and we're going to talk purely about context in, uh, in a few weeks' time. Um, but, you know, this, this, this is yet another scenario where context is important when discussing things about insulin. But... Anyway, look, we're blabbing on. Let's just get into the meat of this then. So firstly, why don't you quickly give us a bit of background on what insulin is before we discuss what it, what it is and what it isn't. I mean, just loosely, what is insulin and, and why are people talking about it? Well, I think, uh, you know, insulin is a hormone produced by the pancreas uh, and um, one of its primary functions is the regulation of blood sugar. Uh, that is why type 1 diabetics who cannot produce any insulin, they have to inject it. Otherwise, their blood sugar will climb, you know, will just climb to, you know, dangerous levels uh, along with other things. Um, and, and that's why they need to constantly inject insulin. Um, so so it, it has a, you know, that's obviously maybe its primary function. It has other um, functions in the body as well. It, uh um, it inhibits lipolysis, which is the release of fat from, uh, or the release of fatty acids from triglycerides. Mm. Um, and this is kind of where people, I think it's kind of that area where people can get hung up on. Definitely. Um, yeah. We're definitely going to talk about that. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It also will inhibit, um, proteolysis, which is protein breakdown. So it inhibits protein breakdown. Um, and it also inhibits ketogenesis or the production of ketones by the liver. Hmm. So, um, really, you can think of. I always like to think of insulin. Um, I, I think people get a mis. This is one of the misconceptions people have about insulin. I think people get have this idea of insulin regulating blood sugar by shuttling sugar into cells. Yeah. That's that's kind of the mentality people have about insulin. Hmm. And while it does, that is one thing that it does. You know, it'll stimulate the the translocation of GLUT4, which is a, a glucose transporter to, to the surface, cell surface of muscle cells and things to help glucose uh, be transported into things like muscle. That's not really the primary way it works. It really, I like to think of insulin as a brake um, on a car. You know, without a brake on a car, you know, the car can just keep going faster and faster and faster and, and there's nothing to slow it down. Um, really, that's how insulin works in the body. Insulin, the primary way it, it regulates blood sugar is by actually acting as a break on glucose production by the liver or sugar production by the liver. So if you've got no insulin being produced by your pancreas, your liver will start to produce sugar and it'll produce more and more and more and more and more. Mm. And actually, they've done tracer studies. You know, this is the reason why a type 1 diabetic blood sugar levels will climb dangerously high because it's not, you know, people say, well, it's because the sugar can't get in the cells. That's actually not true. It can, and they've proven that with tracer studies. It can get into the cells. The problem is there's nothing to tell the liver to stop producing glucose. And so the liver produces massive amounts of glucose. And on top of that, it starts to produce, again, insulin acts as a break. Insulin not only slows down the 
production of glucose by the liver, but as I mentioned before, it also inhibits or slows down the production of ketones by the liver. Hmm. So without insulin, the liver starts to produce ketones at a rapid rate. And um, so what you get now is not only you get rapid production of glucose by the river, but also ketones climb to dangerously high levels, which makes your blood acidic. And um, um, so you go into what's called ketoacidosis or diabetic ketoacidosis. And that's why you need to have an insulin injection to stop all this runaway ketone production. Hmm. Um, so again, it's, it's mainly a break on these physiological processes. Um, it's also a break on lipolysis or the breakdown of fat. Um, so um, really, that's, you know, I like to view insulin primary as an inhibitory hormone because um, uh, that really is its primary job. Yeah, no, you did a great job there, and I think that's important because what people do is when they try to understand this stuff because they go, oh, yeah, I've heard about insulin, you know, they pick up a book or read something on the Internet, which, which of course, is only fact. <laughs> um, but they'll, they'll see maybe... 50 things listed but the only thing they will read is the first two or three and that is usually something to do with its relationship with um, its effect on uh, on blood sugar and um, fat storage and that sort of thing and of course it you know it's 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 one gear or or cog in a whole collection of gears and 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 systems within a massive machine um, and it's it's a lot more complicated than that, which hopefully we'll expand upon. So, um, I mean, what is so? I mean, that's what it is. So, what what is the general consensus of insulin that people and by people I mean just the general public, uh, uh, people who who haven't had substantial education in the science behind this? What what is what is their view of insulin? I, I think what people get hung up on um, is people really get focused on insulin's impact on, I think, a couple things. First, insulin's impact on lipolysis, which is the release of fatty acids from you know, fat cells. And so there's this idea, if insulin levels are high, you can't get fat out of the fat cells, basically. You can't get the fatty acids out of the fat cells. And um, and I think the second thing people get hung up on is is the stimulation of glucose uptake into fat cells as well. So, um, and maybe the conversion of that glucose into, into fat. And, and so I think it's kind of those two things that people really get hung up on. And so it's, you know, in a, in a simplistic view, it makes sense, right? You know, if you don't, you know, if you're not really aware of all the complexities of, of how the system works, you think, oh, well, it, it, it seems very simple. If my insulin levels go up, Fat can't get out of the fat cells. It's going to stimulate glucose uptake into fat cells, and it's going to make me fatter. So that should mean that anything that makes insulin goes up is going to possibly make me fatter, or at least make it harder for me to get leaner. And so that makes sense that I should keep insulin levels as low as possible. And that that's really that's really the whole mindset. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and then that's what leads people to think, oh well, you know what? being that carbohydrates are a very strong driver of insulin release, hmm. that means I need to cut my carbohydrates out because that's that's obviously got to be what's driving it. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I problem is, is people take this stuff too black and white. And it's like I've said, in, oh, I've said this in so many podcasts, is 
they're, they're overly focused on simplistic things. You know, it's, it's like the saying goes, isn't it? A little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. And, yeah. And, and it's, not, it's not that what they're thinking is wrong. It's just it, it's not the whole story. And as we will discuss, you know, the, the whole story needs to be in the context of, say, a 24-hour period. Um, now, we, we had a, <clears throat> a previous podcast, um, only a couple of podcasts ago with... Um, a UK-based scientist called Lee Hamilton, and that was very much about um, things like molecular sig- signaling and that sort of thing. And he came up with a great analogy, you know, which is uh, some of this stuff tends to operate uh, very much like a, a thermostat. And whilst you you might physically turn up the thermostat, and that does initiate signals to the heating system, the boiler or whatever to start to heat up the water or, or whatever, it's going to take a number of things and time before the temperature within that system is physically going to start to increase. The fact that you turned it up doesn't mean there's an instantaneous increase in temperature. Um, and in the same way, you know, uh, someone could turn that thing down before the room temperature comes up. And there's all, there's all kinds of things that can influence that. But simply initiating or facilitating the start of that process does not mean that it's going to continue to go that way because of course there's um like you say inhibitory processes uh you know so let's let's get into that a bit more because there's different angles to all of this for example um insulin's potential impact on on appetite and you hear different ideas do you want to just quickly take us into insulin and appetite yeah, so, um, I, and again, I think there's where people get a misconception about insulin. I think the misconception comes from the fact that, uh, you know, if a diabetic injects too much insulin and their blood sugar drops, they may get really hungry. Mm. And so automatically people take that to think, oh, well, insulin makes you hungry. Um, but that's not that's not really relevant to how insulin is actually working inside the body. If I... You know, injecting insulin, especially if I'm injecting a dose that may be higher than than um, what I need for for to to regulate whatever is whatever I need to regulate my blood whatever my blood sugar level is at that point. Um, You know, yeah, a rapid drop in blood sugar. There's certainly evidence that indicates it can trigger hunger, but that's because the person took you know too high of a, a dose of insulin, which is not relevant to a, a normal functioning, you know, how insulin is actually being released inside the body. Mm. Um, all the data shows that insulin actually inhibits appetite. And this has been demonstrated um, in a number of studies, you know, where, you know, they've done studies where they've injected insulin directly into the brains of rats and they eat less. Um, there's, it's also been found that if you knock out insulin receptors in the brains of rats, um, they will overeat. Um, and, um, it, you know, it's, it's been pretty well demonstrated that insulin actually has an inhibitory function on appetite. Um, even in human studies, obviously, you know, you can't inject insulin directly into the brains of a, hum- a brain of a human. But, you know, there's been correlational studies that, that have been found that, you know, you give people carbohydrate or anything that will stimulate insulin secretion. There's a correlation between the rise in insulin and actually the uh, decrease in appetite. So, mm. um so the evidence, you know, I mean, it's pretty conclusive that insulin does not increase appetite and instead actually in, inhibits appetite. 
Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of weird, isn't it? When you start looking into this stuff and you go, okay, I'm just going to press reset on my sort of belief systems here and just try and find sort of evidence for either side of the argument. You you suddenly discover, hang on, there isn't a whole lot to support that whole idea um, that it that uh, that it does increase appetite. And it's like, well, okay, you know. It, so it's amazing how the sort of Chinese whispers. Uh, goes on that one, um, and also, yeah. and also, um, you know, there, there's this idea that um, that a high carbohydrate diet is going to chronically increase insulin levels, which is a huge argument. People say, "Oh, you got to, you can't have any carbs because that's just going to keep pumping up your insulin levels." But that's not necessarily true either, is it? Uh, yeah, no, it's not. And in fact, again, I, you had addressed it earlier. The problem is people aren't addressing what's happening over a 24-hour period. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if I eat carbohydrates, my insulin levels will go up, but, you know, they'll, they'll rise for, you know, they may peak at, you know, depending on, you know, the, how fast the carbohydrates are digesting and everything, you know, let's say they peak at an hour or 90 minutes or something like that, and then they come back down and, um, and over, but over a 24 hour period, you know, it's not like they're chronically elevated, you know, it's not like if I eat, you know, if I eat some carbohydrates before I go to bed, those, my, my insulin levels are not going to be elevated for for eight hours of sleep mm. um um you know so no it's it's not going to be chronically elevated and i think people confuse the concept of what's called hyperinsulinemia or chronic hyperinsulinemia which really is more i would say a function of insulin resistance mm. um um where your base levels of insulin are elevated um, with dietary-induced insulinemia, which is just the temporary rise in insulin from uh, consumption of food. So, mm. uh, um, you know, th- those are two very different things. Um, um, and I think people tend to equate the two as if they're the same. Yeah, well, I th- I, one of the problems, of course, is people start reading stuff that has a clinical basis to it. So they're reading research or information that's applied to um, someone with diabetes, which is a completely different situation. (laughs) Um, And it's a mistake to assume that it behaves in the same way in normal, quote-unquote, healthy people and those that have a metabolic disorder, and it doesn't. Um, um, But we we can get into that side of it in a minute. I mean, because uh, along with this idea that carbohydrates in one's diet does not have to cause insulin levels to chronically be raised um but we should also bear in mind that carbohydrate isn't the only thing that increases insulin um protein increases insulin which is the very thing that people tell you to eat lots of um instead of carbohydrates so um i mean what, what you know what about the protein and insulin relationship um yes uh, and and i think some people would be surprised at how much protein can actually um stimulate insulin secretion uh um, and, and in fact, dairy protein, out of all the different proteins out there, dairy protein is extremely insulinemic, and there's some, uh, there's a few studies out there, there's one that actually compared um, the impact of like uh, cheese and some other dairy proteins, and they found just as strong of insulin release from those foods compared to white bread, um, and uh, um, yeah, protein has a strong impact on insulin release and and I think and the reason is well well some people think the reason p- 
people who kind of favor this, you know, insulin makes you fat thing, they, they will say, they will tell you, well, it's because the protein is being converted to, to, to glucose first, and that's what's causing the insulin release. And that's not true. Uh, what's actually causing the insulin release is, is um, the amino acids actually will stimulate pancreatic insulin secretion, particularly the amino acid leucine. And this has been demonstrated in a number of studies. Leucine will directly stimulate the pancreas to stim, uh, release insulin. So any protein that is high in leucine, which would include dairy protein, is going to stimulate insulin secretion. Uh, whey protein, which, you know, fitness, people in the fitness industry, you know, love to use whey protein. Mm. Whey protein stimulates a lot of insulin. Uh, that's been demonstrated time and time again in a number of studies. There's, whey protein is very insulinemic. Um, and yet we know from controlled studies that diets high in protein are actually effective for fat loss. And uh, um, so obviously all the insulin that's being released by, uh, um, by all this protein intake obviously is not stopping people from losing fat. So, Yeah, I, I, think, I think one of the issues here, and I got on a different topic but a similar concept um, with Professor Stu Phillips, we were talking about the hormone hypothesis and this idea that, uh, you know, raising things like, you know, squats and deadlifts might well be seen to increase um, hormones like testosterone and, and so on, but, you know, they don't hang around for very long uh, and it's probably not having a particularly significant impact on actual anabolism and muscle protein synthesis, but there might be other signaling effects, of course. But to isolate one hormone on its own and then measure that is kind of crazy because, like, getting back to this topic, um, it's not just insulin. There's lots of hormones in the body and it's probably that unique relationship of hormones that may be having a more specific effect. So, yeah, it just so happens if the only thing you're going to measure is insulin, yeah, you see it rise with carbs. Yes, you see it rise with protein. But there are going to be other combinations of hormones that rise with carbohydrates than um, uh, uh, protein. Um, so yeah, the common ground is insulin, but what's important is it's, it's what are the combined sort of effects. And that's where um, gluc glucagon comes into play, doesn't it? Yes, yeah. Um, the interesting thing though about glucagon too is um, I've heard people say, well, Glucagon will counter the effects of insulin on body fat and stuff, so that's that's what's going on. But they've actually done microdialysis studies on humans, um, looking at the impact of glucagon on fatty acid release from triglycerides, and they find that it really doesn't have an impact. So really, the primary effect of glucagon is is more stimulation of glucose production by the liver, um, which makes sense. I mean, if if I it makes sense why that would happen because you know if I consume just carbohydrate obviously my glucose blood glucose levels are going to rise and and my body needs to release insulin to kind of help um, bring those glucose levels back down if I consume protein which is not going to have a strong impact on my glucose levels but that protein stimulates insulin my glucose my blood glucose levels could end up dropping but what your body does is says okay well i'm going to release glucagon at the same time to stimulate glucose production by the liver to kind of help keep those glucose levels you know in a range where i want it to be hmm. so so that's why your body releases glucagon when you consume protein you know at the same um, 
or why it releases glucagon at the same time as insulin. Um, but the impact on fat, again, there's been microdialysis studies that have been done that found that glucagon does not really counteract the impact of insulin on lipolysis. Um, so, uh, so even that's an, that's another area where I think some people tend to get it wrong uh, um, when it comes to um, the, the impact of insulin on on fat loss. Yeah, well, and, and, and the other side of that, of course, is lots of people are thinking that insulin is required for fat storage, um, which is also not the case, right? Yeah, yeah, that's not true at all. And in, in fact, uh, um, if you were to just eat purely fat, um, that fat would can make a beeline for your fat stores um, um, because there's there's other hormones that can actually will, will basically just help shuttle that fat into the fat stores. So mm. you don't you don't need you don't need insulin to, you know, um, you know, you could be totally free of insulin and you could still store, you know, if, if you're eating more than you're expending, you know, it still has a way to get in your body fat pretty easily. So, yeah, yeah, um, I mean, I think that's people, people seem to forget that there's a lot of redundant mechanisms in your body. Um, and, and it's very complicated. There's a lot of complex interactions of various hormones and, and other things. Um, you know, you can't just get focused on one. And some people will say, well, well, but insulin, that's like the primary regulator. You know, that that's that's like the main, you know, yeah, there's others, <coughs> but that's the main guy. Yeah. Well, when it comes to body fat, it's not even the main guy. Um, yeah. Leptin really is your main regulator of fat, body fat. I mean, that's... Absolutely. And in yeah. fact, that makes the most, you know most sense because leptin is actually produced directly by your fat cells and so the bigger your fat cells get the more leptin they produce yeah and then leptin has a has the action of you know increasing your metabolic rate and mm. and reducing your appetite to a point to because your body says oh you know our fat stores are getting too high we gotta you know we gotta kind of reverse this process so mm. um so really i mean if you want to look at your primary regulator body fat it's not insulin it's leptin but nobody ever talks about leptin so <laughs> Yes, which yes. Amazes me because it amazes me because you know we've known about leptin for a long time and and uh, yeah, for I some a, reason we get hung up on insulin. Absolutely, so. yeah. Well, it's like any anything. I think you know people get into this topic; it becomes very popular, and it, it sort of becomes this urban legend, doesn't it? <laughs> and yes. uh, take, it's it's it's, it's going to take a while for people to, uh, to to lose it. Also because it fits incredibly well into sort of simplistic thought processes about what makes us, you know, fat and, um, and allows us to avoid a, a slightly more obvious cause, which is perhaps we do uh, consume too much energy, um, which I, I do want to get into in a minute. Um, but... You know, I think if one looks at the science of all this, I mean, insulin levels themselves are not predictive of weight gain or weight loss. Um, no. You know, no, are they? they? So, I mean, since you're really into your science of this, I mean, you know, when you look at all the research and the science of, of this stuff, I mean, what 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 is the initial conclusion that that you come to, if if that's not too wide a question? Um. Well, I, th I think, um, I mean, I think if you look at the, the data on a whole, hmm. 
you know, there's a few, you know, there might be a study here or there that, that may, people might say, oh, well, look, see, their insulin's doing it. But, but if you look at, you know, if you take a broad look at the data, or I would say the weight of the evidence, you know, let's say there's 100 studies on insulin on various things related to fat um, gain or fat loss and things like that. You know, 90, 90 of them, 90 to 95 of them are going to point to the fact that insulin really doesn't matter. <laughs> mm. um, and so that's that's why I draw the conclusions I do, because, I, you know, it's like you got to look at the data as a whole and and you have to ask the, que- the, the question, you know, um, really, you have to view it in the terms of hypothesis testing, um, because if insulin really mattered as much as people say it does, well, there's predictions you could make from that hypothesis. You could say, okay, well, if insulin is really driving fat storage and everything, then I should predict, you know, A, B, and C, right? Mm. Um, but when you look in the literature, that's it, been found that A, B, and C aren't true. So you have to throw out that hypothesis. You know what? This hypothesis doesn't work. It just doesn't, it doesn't fit the data. And, um, um, and that, that, that's kind of where, why I, I stand where I stand on insulin. It's just, it just does not fit the body of data that's out there. Yeah. And, well, and actually, or I was just going to mention, you know, you had mentioned Dr. Stephen uh, Guionette, who yeah. actually lives in the Seattle area. Yeah, I, yeah, I had, yeah. had had lunch with him uh, uh, back over the summer, but uh, he, um, he actually wrote uh, uh, some blog posts on the same issue. He just said, you know, the carbohydrate hypothesis of obesity and the insulin hypothesis of obesity, you know, those were already tested a long time ago and they found that it just doesn't fit the data. You know, yeah. the data just doesn't fit with it. And that's, you know, um, but but it's still such a popular idea. Absolutely. You know, so. Well, and I think it's also important to differentiate something, which is, you know, if because people really get into the whole sort of carbohydrate being the cause of all evil and everything and you know there's various sides to that and as I will always say well there's context has to be discussed because carbohydrates in non-active people might be a bigger issue potentially but at the end of the day it's still going to boil down to excess energy intake in a 24-hour period which I'm going to get into in a second Um, but um, you know at the end of the day when we talk about insulin we're not necessarily talking about carbohydrates um, because one is assumed to go with the other and that isn't necessarily the case here it is you know discussing the benefits of lower carbohydrate diet is not the same thing as discussing an insulin relationship Um, but everyone sort of bags it into one conversation don't they Oh, oh, yeah, and I think I think that's what also fuels the myth because people go on low carbohydrate diets and they lose all this weight and they think, oh, see, see, it was the carbohydrates, mm. and but that's not actually the mechanism behind how low carbohydrates diets work, and it's yeah, you know, really the mechanism is uh, well, there's there's multiple mechanisms, but one typically low carbohydrate diets are high in protein, which has a strong satiety effect and um, so people just eat less without even knowing it and, you know they don't even realize it and then that's been demonstrated I mean it's been demonstrated in so many studies where you know you dramatically increase protein intake and drop carbohydrate intake there's a spontaneous reduction in calorie intake um, sometimes a very large one um, so there's that there's also just the um, 
limitation in food choices, and there's data to show that when you even sometimes simply limiting food choices or making a diet more monotonous um, will actually help people eat less. Um, and, uh, um, and also I think, you know, um, there's some, you know, some high carbohydrate foods out there that are, that are, you know, also high in fat and very energy dense. And obviously if you cut those out of your diet, you're going to decrease your calorie intake. And so the mechanism behind how low carbohydrate diets work has absolutely nothing to do with insulin. Yeah. Uh, it has everything to do with satiety and, and, and its impact on, on how much people are actually eating. So, yeah, and I, I think that's in, important. And, and I got into some of that with Stephen Guillenay. And I think, I think, I think, yes, it's important to talk about energy balance and calories in and calories out. But, and I've done podcasts on this. And, you know, the thing is, is I will say though that we don't eat calories, we eat food. In fact, we don't really eat food, we eat, we eat meals. And, you know, but it's, it's, it's what drives that behavior to consume more. And of course, there's so much to that. You know, you could have a bad day at work, you're probably going to eat more. You, you know, yeah. you, you, you could be really depressed and you're either going to eat less or more. You know, I mean, there, there's all kinds of stuff there that's, that's bigger. But what I've definitely, and I've spoken to a lot of experts, and my, and my colleague um, at Guru Performance, uh, and we do research and various other things, but my colleague uh, Scott Robinson, who's um, just uh, in the final stage of his PhD in many things to do with fat oxidation, and he does like 24-hour chamber studies and so on. Having spoken to some of the stuff with him and listened through some of his lectures, um, it is absolutely clear that looking at this stuff um, on a sort of a minute by minute or meal by meal basis is 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 is, is really a, a major distraction because this is probably more likely to occur on a twenty four hour or day and a half sort of basis, and that's kind of where this discussion takes a different light doesn't it because um, oh yeah just just because you know you're um say uh you know well and we didn't talk about insulin and fat oxidation and i've covered that a lot in previous podcasts in fact a few podcasts ago i did one with dr emma stevenson all about uh glycemic index and fat oxidation and performance and so on but and we did discuss this briefly uh just because um, insulin will inhibit fat oxidation um, temporarily or within a short period of time. That doesn't mean that it's going to um, reduce uh, body fat uh, within a 24-hour period because, of course, you might eat more later. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's just going to store more. And I, I, I just wanted to get into that a little bit because that is something that people don't talk about is the 24-hour period. And and how this all sort of adds up over the course of a day rather than just worrying about the glycemic index of their protein shake. Uh, yeah, and, and that's the thing. I, you know, I, I actually talked about it on my website. I compared it to alcohol mm. metabolism. And um, we know that when you drink alcohol, alcohol suppresses fat oxidation. I mean, it, it actually strongly suppresses fat oxidation. Um, and But, but, um, but they've done... 24-hour balance fat balance studies and fat oxidation studies that, that if you don't cons you know even if you're consuming alcohol if you're not consuming more calories than you're expending um, there's not an increase in 24-hour fat balance um, 
And because what happens is, yeah, during that time you're, you're drinking alcohol, there's a suppression of fat oxidation and everything. But then after you're done, later on in the day, um, fat oxidation goes back up and then it all, it all balances out. Mm -hmm. and, and the same thing happens with carbohydrate. Um, you know, yeah, if you consume carbohydrate, there's a temporary suppression of fat oxidation. Um, but to me, I mean, that just totally makes sense anyway, just from a, you know, just from an evolutionary standpoint. I mean, if I'm eating food, then my body doesn't need to use whatever is stored, right? I yeah. mean, yeah. just during that time period. But later on, you know, when I'm not eating food, then my body will start to use whatever, you know, whatever is available inside of my body. And so, but over a 24-hour period, if it all, you know, if you're making sure it all balances out, it, it's not going to matter. You know, that temporary suppression of fat oxidation just isn't going to matter. And, and uh, um, um, yeah, it just, but people get hung up on. They do, um, they do. And yeah, I mean, I think, I think, and it, that is the problem though, is the small details and people get, they get too focused on the little stuff and they don't, they don't remember the bigger picture. And also yeah. what they don't, what they don't realize is how much we still don't know about this stuff. Um, you know, the more, the more I've learned, I used to, I used to think I knew a lot a long time ago and the more I've learned <laughs> and yeah. uh, you know, the less I know. And, and, and I think it, it, you, you need to have that healthy respect of where we are with this science. And it's a very fluid science and things keep changing. But one thing that, one thing that is going to take some time is for us to truly understand all of this. And we need to, we need to sit back and go, okay, look, you know, we know quite a lot about certain mechanisms and, and so on, but um, we don't know the ins and outs of all of this. But some of the things that we do know, particularly from quality science, because there's plenty of bad science out there, um, when it relates to weight management or fat loss or whatever, it probably, well, not probably, I think it's pretty, pretty much definitely more to do with this business of 24-hour energy balance and the ability to consistently maintain um, that lifestyle um, yeah. over a protracted period of time. Whether or not you're higher carb or, or, or lower carb, the, the, the main sort of feature of, 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 of one successful outcome of, of being improved body composition tends to be the one that you can actually stick with. Yeah, exactly. And actually, there's, there's a number of studies on this. Adherence is the number one predictor of success. Mm. It's totally independent of macronutrient composition and everything like that. Adherence is by far the number one predictor of success uh, with any type of weight loss or fat loss program. And that... Um, uh, that just gets lost on people. Um, so I know, I know. Well, listen, look, um, I, I mean, we could talk, there's so much in this. Um, and obviously I would want to encourage people to come listen to you talk a bit more formally about this stuff at the Epic Fitness Summit, which is, um, uh, let me see. It's on, uh, May 15th to 17th. Um, at the same time as the body power event, in fact, it's related to, uh, to this because it's run by the, the folks at Body Power, but you can learn more about this at epic-summit.co.uk. Um, and uh, James Krieger will be there speaking along with many other people that have appeared on this podcast, like Alan Aragon and Brad Schoenfeld, Lane Norton, 
uh, others, uh, Martin McDonald, uh, so on and so forth. So, Jose Antonio, there's all kinds of cool guys. I'll be there. I'm not speaking, but I'll certainly be listening to all of you. And it'll be um, a pleasure to meet with you, James. And uh, I'm looking forward yes. to listening to you speak. Um, so I, I know you're busy with your family and uh, day trading and... Um, uh, I'm hoping you'll uh, finish off your, your PhD at some point, maybe when the kids are a little less demanding. You know, you've worked hard at all this stuff and um, I'm sure you'll you'll finish. I, there's plenty of good papers that you've collaborated on, particularly in JISSN. I've seen a few lately. Um, and then there's your uh, website. Can you just remind us what your website is? Yeah, my w- website is uh, weightology.net, uh, W-E-I-G-H-T-O-L-O-G-Y.net. Brilliant. Great. Okay, well, look, thanks for coming on and spending some time with me. I've, I've enjoyed um, talking to you about insulin, and um, that brings us to the end of this Guru Performance We Do Science Epic Fitness Summit Special Edition podcast. If you want to learn more about the regular podcast um, and all the other things we get up to at Guru Performance, please check us out at guruperformance.com. I, of course, am Laurel Bannock, and look forward to... Bring another podcast back to you soon.